All right, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Melanated Convo Podcast. What is the Melanated Convo Podcast, you ask? The Melanated Convo Podcast is a podcast that will come to you every other Friday where we focus on interviewing interesting individuals from all parts of the country, whether they're an entertainer, whether they write for a living, whether they are a musician, a teacher, just a parent with a very interesting and inspiring story. We just seek to motivate our people and remain inspirations on a day-to-day basis. So I like to interview people who embody that Um, You know, just to give our community that good energy that we need. Also on the show, we discuss different news topics that are um, that I feel are important to our community, whether it be a new business owner or just something happening in the black or melanated community that I think um, we should be interested in and pay attention to. And on this episode, I also have a really, really special guest who is an author and has a, a really interesting take and a really interesting writing style. So in a second, I'm going to bring him on so he can share his story and we can get an idea of why he does what he does. Now, for the first news story for the day, um, I'm not sure, and, and I talked about this on my Monday show, which is Melanated Mondays, by the way. You can find that show at MelanatedFathers.com or Melanated Fathers TV on YouTube, um, just so you know. So on that show, I discussed Hidden Colors and the importance of uh, that history documentary to our community. And like I said on the show, I'm not sure who hasn't seen Hidden Colors, but if you haven't seen it, man, I tell you, you, <clears throat> you're missing out. Hidden Colors is a documentary series by filmmaker and historian Tariq Nasheed that covers um, black history, our history in this country, um, you know, talks a lot about white supremacy and how we've been treated in this country. So recently, you know, because by the time you guys hear this, the latest version of Hidden Colors, which is Hidden Color 5, will be out. Um, you can go to the website to purchase all four, all five of the documentary or all of the films if you want. That's at hiddencolorfilms.com. So far, he has created four films, which is The Untold History of People of Aboriginal Moor and African Descent, The Triumph of Melanin, The Rules of Racism, the religion of white supremacy and the final installment, the fifth and final installment, which is the art of black warfare. He also has another film called 1804, the hidden history of Haiti, which goes into the uh, Haitian revolution. So I'm just a really, really big fan of these movies, you guys, because I haven't seen um, our history quite told this way. So if you're a black person listening to the melanated person, listening to the sound of my voice, please do yourself a favor and go to the website, which is hiddencolorfilm.com. That's hiddencolorsfilm.com. He has like a package where you can get all five of the movies for like 89 bucks. Um, It's extremely worth it, guys. As we look at the climate in this country as far as how the president is operating, um, all the racist fascists that's taking place with, you know, the shootings and just the continuing of how we've been treated, that just continues to happen if you pay attention. So it's important that we equipped ourselves with the proper knowledge so we can understand when we see a lot of these things going on, we can learn how to proper contextualize these things. Um, So we can mobilize and do what's right and try our best to help our people. But the first thing we need to do is get a clear understanding of the history and how a lot of these things came to be in the first place. If we're going to fight racism or white supremacy, it's really imperative that we just get a handle on how a lot of these things started. So do yourself a favor and go to hiddencolorsfilm.com. 
and buy that bundle package from my boy Tariq so you can start getting your history game on. Now, the second news story that I wanted to cover today, which I find, um, the reason why I'm talking about it because I just find it uh, extremely interesting, extremely innovating. There's a sister out of San Diego named Shane Curtin. I think I'm saying her name right, S-H-A-N, Shane Curtin. She's a mother of three who has a job. Well, she works, she goes to school, and she realized because she has three children who are so far in age, she has a kid that, that's in kindergarten, middle school, and high school. She realized the kids were so far away in age, and she would have trouble getting transportation for them, whether it be to school, to daycare, or what have you, living in the San Diego area, not having much family, you know, even um, putting herself in a situation where she had to use Lyft for her older children, she began to look for um, different avenues to kind of transport her kids back and forth when she couldn't, and she realized that there wasn't anything available. So what this sister did was created her own company, which is called Kitty Commute. Kitty Commute, and this company is a full-service transportation company for kids. Now, currently, she's only in the San Diego area, so it hasn't went nationwide yet. She's in the San Diego area. I think she's covering maybe 37 out of the 89 zip codes in that area, so her business is constantly... Um, getting better and moving forward, but she's also asking because at this point, she wants to expand and do this same type of program around the entire country, which I personally think it's a really um, interesting and intuitive idea. So if anybody out there wants to either support the sister so she can expand, create an app that's um, a little more user-friendly, and, and compatible with what she's trying to do and just expand across the full country, you can help her out by going to her Kickstarter campaign and type in Kitty Commute. If there's someone out there that wants to invest, someone that thinks the idea is a good thing and maybe you wanna do a Kitty Commute in your city, I don't know, you feel me? That's something that you can talk to her about if you go to kittycommute.com She's also um, open for investment opportunities for people that want to help out. Now, again, you know, we're all about inspiring and being creative here on the Melanated Convo podcast. So I had to send a shout out to the sister because she found a need in the marketplace, then put 100% behind that decision and began moving forward with getting it created. Um, she also mentioned that a really big aspect of doing this business, which I thought was imperative, was the fact that she wants to show her three children um, how it is to run a business. She wants to show her three children that she's putting her best foot forward to create some type of generational wealth for her family. You know, and um, some of this will tie in with the interview we're doing today. You know, it's nothing wrong with working a full-time job if you have to, that's America. That's how we live here as Americans. But I like to salute and take my hat off to anybody who finds a way to create their own niche in this society and be self-reliant and self-sufficient. It, it's, it's um, you know, for most of us, the easy thing to do is to create it, find a career, be safe, keep that job. And again, I'm not knocking that, but it takes a certain type of individual to step out on the limb and say, I'm going to bet it all on myself. So I take my hat off to the sister Shane Curtin of Kitty Commute. Again, go to kittycommute.com if you want to invest or just see what she got going on. Or if you would like to just contribute to help her get to her goal, um, you can go to Kickstarter and put in Kitty Commute and you'll be able to see her information and help her out there. Now, enough for the news stories for today. Now, like I said, I have a really special guest on the show today that I've been trying to actually get on the show for a while. The brother is the author of 
what I think, being a man that has had to work in corporate America for the larger part of my life, um, hearing someone speak about corporate America as it relates to the black man or the black woman in America was was extremely interesting to me. So far, the brother has written two books. The first book, Behind Enemy Lines, Survival Tips for Black Men in the Workplace. The second book, Mason Dixon, A View from an Office Cue, Painful Insights on Race, Religion, and Sex. Everybody, please welcome to the show, Wallace Rushing. How you doing today, Wallace? I'm fine, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. It's so good to have you on the show, man. Glad to be on, brother. It's a blessing to be on. Thank you. Definitely, definitely. Now, so like I was saying, you know, I, I, I talked a lot about um, your books and just c- what kind of inspired me to reach out to you. But I want to take it from the beginning a little bit just to give everybody kind of an idea of who you are, where you came from, and what motivated you to write such interesting topics. All right. So let's get into the questions here. The first question that I have for you, brother, because, you know, of course, I've read your stuff, so I know. But tell everybody where you're from. Actually, I'm from a small town in North Carolina, Marshville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly of a mostly a sharecropping town, uh, a lot of mills, plants, um, and also uh, it's the home of the color purple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really? Okay, color yeah. purple was was filmed there. It, it was filmed there my junior year in high school. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> Interesting. A major part of it was filmed there my junior year in high school. Hmm. So uh, I'm from a real small rural town in North Carolina. Okay. Okay. Now being from the deep South or, you know, a strong part of the South. Talk to us about as a kid, um, how did your childhood and just growing up in that type of environment, how did that shape how you saw the world? I'm glad you said that, man. Well, actually for me, um, family was big and was actually very important. Uh, My father died when I was nine, but he still had an imprint on me. Hmm. I'm the youngest of eight children, of course. Um, My brother next to me is 10 years. So, um, I got used to hearing a lot of stories about uh, Jim Crow. Mm. And, I'm, and actually, I'm a 70s, 80s kid. And uh, I, can, I can tell stories that, like it was yesterday. But um, family played a major part. And I didn't really realize uh, how, big, how big a part family played into the, until my life until I actually left. Mm. Um, uh, four boys, four girls. Um, I'm the only one, actually, I'm sorry. Me and my brother are the only ones that was born in the hospital. And once again, I'm a child of the eighties, hmm. so uh, I'm basically a byproduct of rural, of rural America, the rural South. Got it, got it. Now you mentioned your father died at nine. Um, I was gonna ask a question about that. So, yeah. as as a child, how did that affect you? Like you losing? Because I lost my father when I was eight years old. So I so I definitely relate. Um, how did that affect you? How, how did things change after that? You know, uh, actually, um, the funny thing about it is, brother, uh, there was not a lot of so-called uh, modern-day education in my family with, with, with my parents. My father, of course, you know, had an had a elementary school education. My mother got as far as the ninth grade, right? But it's just looking at their work ethic. I couldn't tell because they had the common sense to raise eight children. Hmm. So it had an impact. but I guess with them and putting jewels in me, it stuck with me. Now, you know, I was born, I was born and raised in the Christian church, the Baptist church, right? And I didn't stay there. Of course I didn't. But uh, what I can say about Christianity itself, it, it, it helped. It took care of me at that age. Hmm. But, you know, as you get older, you know, you tend to you tend to want to venture out more, you know, and, and study more. And, and it put me on a journey, man, that I'm still on right now. Got it. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Now, interesting. Okay. So this is a question I didn't write down, but this is something I would be curious in knowing. So you mentioned that in, you know, growing up where you grew up, it was rural. Everybody worked real hard. Um, yes. That's kind of interesting to me because, you know, I understand now because I, I grew up in the late eighties and nineties and, okay. you know, I knew there you know, in my environment, there was, and I grew up in California, Sacramento, California, a lot of single parent homes. And I would notice how 
you know, all of the households that didn't have men, um, when I look back at it, it was obvious, like what was lacking was extremely obvious for me to see. It sounds like you're saying you were in a community that kind of took care of one another. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, even though my father left, I, I had uncles and I had older brothers, you know, I, I played ball. And, you know, I had like you know, cousins and cousins and coaches, whatever. So um, it wasn't a lack of men. But I, what I can say, brother, it was actually one thing that did lack really was knowledge of self. Mm. Ah. So there, there was an influence, but I tell you, man, uh, there was no there was no knowledge of self teaching going on at all mm. during that time. You know, I can't knock them because you only know what you know. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But um, there was no one to really teach me a, a knowledge of self. Hmm. Wow. Now, do you think that's because, you know, growing up in the South, some of our older family members, they're a little more uh, directly connected with Jim Crow. Some of them even have a grandparent or a great grandparent that was actually a slave. Do you do you think? coming from that time where it was just so tough on us, it seems like either a black person was a revolutionary or they just stood away from the topic altogether. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that. One thing about, about me, even though I was raised, you know, kind of, a, you know, men and women, um, sometimes they, my upbringing didn't really teach you to be, to be an alpha male. It, it mm. taught you to bend a lot. Mm. You know, I, like I said, I, I'm not going to knock it because you only know what you know, but there was not a lot of alpha male teaching there, only to capitulate. Mm, that's interesting. And th and I can say that based on the religion and being taught that, you know, when you leave this place, you either go to college or go to the military. Hmm. There's no, no, no entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship teaching at all. Just just follow the follow that particular um, plan that was given to you by your elders. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. Okay, interesting. Now, talk to me about um, when you started to write. Like, at what age did you realize writing was something that you wanted to get into? About 15. But uh, but once again, I, I, I held back from it. I, I didn't think that, based on my environment, writing was not something that a, a, a guy did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ah, interesting. Okay. That was more of a female thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would actually hide it, man. I had a teacher would actually tell me that to stick with it you know about you know sort of rebellious you know at that time I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh I wouldn't stick with it as far as with her looking at my journals with her I kept journals from I say from 15 through college I kept journals and I wouldn't let anybody anyone read them today to this day I still have them. but uh I, I hit them I just hit them from everybody but it was such a release for me man to put your thoughts on paper you know that's why that's what led me to writing I had to get I, had to, I just had to get it out Definitely, definitely. Being, a, um, you know, a beginning writer myself, I completely understand what you're saying. And other people who write always trying to get an idea of, you know, what what motivates you to do so. Because just like you're saying, you know, when when you were growing up, writing wasn't wasn't even seen what wasn't even seen as a masculine thing to do. Um, not even and, and definitely not a career option. It's it's kind of been the same for me a little bit. I can definitely relate from that. Just writing, like I would, you know, my last job before they shut down and, you know, closed down and everything, I would do a lot of writing and people would see me writing like on my break or lunch or something. And they'd look at me and they'd be like, Hey, what you writing raps? You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <yeah. laughs> they're they're going to put that with whenever they see somebody black, un unfortunately, you writing a pen or using a pen this day and age, they, they, they're only going to associate that with some form of entertainment. So <laughs> I definitely had to deal with that small taboo in our community as well. Now, so you said you've been writing since you were 15. Um, was the first book um, Beyond Enemy Lines, Survival Tips for Black Men in the Workplace, was that what the first book you wrote? Actually, my first book was actually Mason Dixon. Was Got it. Lines was my last book. Mason Dixon was my first book that, that, that I actually uh, I wrote. And I wrote that book actually when when I got turned down for one of the many promotions. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I spent time like in a cube, you know, just, just writing. You know, that one thing about them, you know, I just I was actually a number. 
I was a black face, so I wasn't bothered that much as long as I was there to be seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, I picked it back up and just started writing. And of course, they would come by, you know, I would have some of my lectures by the minister on and wanted to write something like that. And they just thought I was either trying to uh, listen to gospel preaching or I was trying to, like you said, uh, write some rap rhymes to mm -hmm. pass time away. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Wait, so you're saying the book Mason Dixie, A View from an Office Cube, you were writing it in your office cube. I, I actually wrote that book in an office cube. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, talking about being creative. <laughs> yep, I sure did. Okay, okay. Now, so talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, what what prompted you to write that book? Actually, um, just looking back over, when I left North Carolina, um, I left I left my mother and a sister there. And I, I came here to, to, to Atlanta just trying to leave the rural south. So I worked for the south, of course. But Atlanta is like, like the jewel of the South, you can say. Mm -hmm. So I came to Atlanta, and based on the stories I would tell, a lot of friends of mine that I met here, they would always tell me to put it on paper, mm. right? <laughs> so I'd laugh off at times. But then again, you know, when I came into corporate after graduating college, not getting uh, picked up for certain promotions, I just started to go back to, go back to writing journals. So I stuck with it. Hmm. Okay. And, and so, the stories that I would give them, it would just, it would put certain people in awe. And when I came to, to the South, actually in, in, in Atlanta, it was more of a mudding pot for me because what I would do is I would actually take the, the Marta train to Five Points to Atlanta. I'm not sure if you've been in Atlanta or not, but no, I would no. go to Five Points, right? Mm -hmm. And I would intentionally sit and just talk to people who, who didn't look like me. <laughs> mm. and get insights, you know, on different cultures or whatever. So I spent a lot of my time down, uh, downtown, either with the Koreans or the Africans or whatever, just to get a sense of what I was, just to, just to see what I was missing outside of my, my, old, my old environment. Hmm, interesting. Okay, and in doing that, did that give you a lot of perspective on how other cultures live or how they, oh, what they, what uh, they think know, about us even? I look back and I look back and sometimes I laugh at where I where I came from my mindset then and now. Mm -hmm. um, coming from a hardcore Christian environment to where I was raised to to now, you know, I'm not, I don't really deal with religion at all. You know, I do God, I don't really do religion. <laughs> but it had a just meeting people um, of different cultures and just mindsets of mindsets all over the place. It it really had an impact. It had an impact on me. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, I, you know, I take my hat off to you, man, that that's extremely inspiring, because every, every day when I was in corporate America, I would meet someone who didn't want to be there, who who pretty much would say, man, they, they treated it like it was a jail sentence. Um, but few people had a, a, a outlet had something else that they was passionate about that would drive them from the job because I because I recall being that way myself a little bit like man I'm you know I'm tired of this this isn't something I'm passionate about it's just money and you know you get into the little um situations with coworkers where you're kind of talking about the job and what you don't like about it but I think ultimately we all should be looking to do something different then and not necessarily about money per se but just yeah. following your spirit and you know living your truth to the fullest and sometimes people can't break away from yep. corporate America. They they don't know how to uh, channel that energy. So I applaud you for that, bro. Now I, I tell you, brother. I, I actually I published that book. Uh, I'm a widower. My wife died in 2014, right? Hmm. And when she, when she passed away, I, I had I had two two kids with me. I have two children right now that I'm raising. And for for them to see me going to work and coming back home, I'm like, you know what? I'm just trying to make sure that my kids knew that. This is not, this is, this isn't life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even though, you know, you're eating well, you're paying bills, but I'm still not doing what I really want to do. Even though I'm preaching to them one thing and doing another, mm. you know, I, I, I felt like a hypocrite. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So you forget, cause that, you know, it's important you stay it that way because our kids are forever watching. 
Of course. Like they're watching everything we do. And I remember when I appeared to be happy in corporate America, my kids were asking questions about, you know, do you think that's a job I can work at? They, they were asking questions about being a worker. Uh, I started talking business ownership and moving in that direction. They began to ask questions about business ownership. So I said, man, this is um, my everyday movement is much more impactful than I thought it was, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even now, even with my spare time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put a third book out. And I see them, I had, I almost actually had to catch myself, brother, with me coming home on Friday. You know, Friday's like, for some people, that's that's party day. That's time mm -hmm. to relax, you know, and unwind. And I would see them catching me maybe going to a, to a happy hour and getting up late on Saturday mornings. And I'm like, is this what, I, is this what I'm teaching them? That you'll only live for weekends? Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I'm like, I, I had to really watch it because... That's what they think. That's at, at that time. That's, I sort of had to rear them in and tell them, you know, that it made some mistakes here or there. You know, as far as with you seeing me, just of course you gotta relax sometime. But with them just thinking that the only time for you to really live is when you're off the clock, you know, of of the uh, dominant race. <laughs> I'm gonna say, well, dominant culture. Yep, yep. I definitely understand that because you know even. Um, you know, some books that I've read have mentioned the fact that, you know, of course, um, working the 40 hour work week is an American thing. And a lot of us have to deal with that. But yeah, throughout slavery, you know, back in the day, we kind of had to deal with that same thing where our, our work week was so strenuous, like yeah. cotton and, and working for next to nothing. The weekends were like a celebration. We couldn't wait to get to the weekend just so we can have a drink, just so we can go amongst other black folks and kind of celebrate and let your hair down. Because yeah. even then, the work environment, as most corporations is now, isn't really set up to benefit us. It isn't really set up for us to be ourselves. I know so many people who go to work and they have to damn near put on an act at work because of the looks that you get. In you know how people speak about you and, and and all the perceptions that people have about black folks, you know what I'm saying? So that can yeah. be stressful. That can actually weigh on your health, also. Of course. Well, yeah. Um, yep. I, I, I'm glad you said that. Even, when I go back and I look over some of the writings I've read, even Frederick Douglass, you know, he he spoke about that as well. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that is actually the. It's like the behavior of a slave. When you're giving time off, your time is spent an idle time because you're so happy to be off. Yep. You know, you're doing things that aren't really productive or, or better for your well-being just for you to relax, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Relaxation becomes the primary focus. Yep. And, and at, at that time, when you mix that with religion, when you mix that with church, it almost became, okay, I'm going to have fun. Sunday, I'm going to go to church. If I do this right, I'm going to die and go to heaven. So it was almost, <laughs> I'm going to have I'm, I'm going to get the big reward when I die, you know what I'm saying, yep. opposed to trying to live heaven here on earth. Yep, yep, you're right. You're right. Yep. All right, so a couple more questions I have for you. So with, write, with writing the books, I, um, I kind of see where you're going with the books, and I have a, you know, I kind of feel the same way. I share the same sentiments. So tell me, give me some things where, what do you think is some of the biggest challenges a uh, black man or woman face while working in corporate America? Um, some of the biggest challenges is that, you know, I don't knock anyone from trying to make, make a living or trying to make this thing work. But at times, uh, just the, the challenge is, is to, is to don't, get, don't get lost in trying to keep up with that rat race. Don't lose yourself. Hmm. And I, I see sometimes, and as a matter of fact, I did, I did at times. I kind of lost myself trying to get a promotion. Hmm. I kind of lost myself um, uh, by not really, um, by doing things that were outside of my core values of trying to get in the graces of someone who really didn't give a damn about you. Interesting. And understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, I can be replaced with a twinkle of an eye. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's all about numbers, man. You know, and like I can't knock them for that because you know that's that, that's their thing. But um, at the end of the day, you're you're only a number, so don't 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 lose yourself. Very interesting, man. I'm happy we're having this conversation, brother, because I feel the same way. You know, I I I worked at uh, Verizon Wireless. Um, they had a corporate office here near the Sacramento area where I live, and I'm thankful at this point. Like the the day that they announced that they were moving to Texas, basically, and mm-hmm. giving us a severance package, or you can move to Texas too, or you can just go home. You pick. I was a big amount of relief came over me um, because at that point I had started to write. I had started to explore what I wanted to do on my own, like what, what I wanted to do outside of that. And that became the biggest relief to a degree, man, because I'm not above working in, in corporate America. If, you know, I've been thankful to not be in that position right now, but if I have to ever do so again to yep. see my family, I will. But just like you're saying, it's not about the work. It's about the mentality. You see, because yes. I worked for Verizon and you couldn't tell me I wasn't, we wasn't one. When a, when a new phone, <laughs> when a new phone came out, I said, we coming out with a new phone. Oh, what's the new phone we got? Ain't no we. <laughs> Ain't no we. I'm a number. I'm a. I'm. Man, I'm just a sales rep on the complete bottom of the totem pole. And being fired, that woke me up, brother. I said, okay, it it, it was never no we. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was them, and then me, and, and and just like you said, on your paycheck or on your cubicle, there is a number. That's just it. like when you go to jail, same thing. You're going to be referred to by a number opposed to your actual name. <laughs> and think about it. Yeah, I, I would see, I would see, actually, I, I'm a 25-year veteran of a, of a Fortune 500 company hmm. in the metro Atlanta area. And, you know, I look back over now, over the, over the uh, doors that were shut in my face, it would actually, it, at that time, it would hurt. Now I look back and laugh and can't believe that I actually, ha- I actually had that at that time, make who I was. Mm-hmm. And I, actually, that was really my self-worth. Oh, <laughs> that is, that. brother, that is so important. And now, because I remember when when I got that job, it took me a while to get it. I had to do multiple interviews. I was proud of that job. When somebody would ask me, where you work, brother? What you doing, what you doing now? I was happy to say, Verizon. I wish I had my badge on too, so you can see the badge <laughs> hanging. You know what I mean? And now I meet people, and when you say, when you, when you ask them about themselves, when I hear people lead with their employer, that's troublesome to me. Now, granted, if you just so happen to be doing a job that you're passionate about, or that you're passionate about, great. I think I put that into a different category to a degree. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a stressful work environment and you're allowing, just like you said, your job to almost define who you are, in my opinion, that means you got some soul searching to do. Of course. Oh, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I now, agree. now, so um, talk to me a little bit more about your, because um, I didn't have this question written down, but, but I kind of want to your Your personal experiences in corporate America, was there anything in particular that happened and of course, you don't got to. Uh, you don't have to get oh, too wow. details if you want to. But was there anything no. in particular that happened that made you say, "You know what? I got to change something." Oh man, um, there, there, there's, there's so many. I'm glad you said that, man. I mean, there, there, there were instances. You know, me being, you know, I was like the representative for, for black men. <laughs> any, I mean, any question they had, they asked you, huh? <laughs> man, you, you thought you would have thought Bobby Brown was actually my brother. <laughs> and, and they really believed that we all had things in common that we that, that we all did the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were times, man, that you know they felt so comfortable with me, brother, that we went on a uh, on a so-called um, so a so-called uh, team hiatus, whatever, to break the ice from a long work week. And they actually took me to a Confederate graveyard just to see my just to see the look in my face. Oh my God! They took me to to a Confederate graveyard 
just to just to get a reaction out of. And these are things that I had to actually just bite my bottom lip and just grin and bear with. Mm. I mean, from, from that to uh, from them actually um, playing the whole OJ court case every day at the office. And this happened literally. <laughs> the some of the accounts, man, was ridiculous. You know, from from that to uh, me having to actually, and one one thing I can say is that that really stuck with me. That is that um, I, I kind of um, I didn't go to the Million Man March uh-huh. because our eyes was on me. And I tell you, man, that was probably something that really that would probably never leave me. Mm. Actually, um, trying to um, trying to uh, not do something that they would look that they would think I was being a rebellious Negro. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I dodged the Million Man March, and I was supposed to have gotten bus to Atlanta to go. And at the last second, I didn't go. Just fear <laughs> what they would fear what they would think of me. Damn. So, and the funny thing about it is, when I didn't go, they had the audacity to place bets during the day when it was going on, because they were saying that it was wasn't even close to a million men. So you would have executives placing bets on the number of brothers at the march. Wow. And this wow. is in a corporate environment. Wow. I hope everybody hears exactly what this brother is saying. I'm so happy he had the balls really to admit that he allowed the corporate white structure that he was a part of to dictate his thinking a little bit. And all too often, all too often in our community, we do this type of thing. And wow, it's just powerful, Wallace, because I've seen people take this type of attitude where I'm going to do whatever I can to please my employer. I need this money. They yeah. dangle in the carrot over your head. I need this money. But then they go home and talk to their mama like she ain't shit. Like, <laughs> I tell you, brother, when that actually happened, man, and like, I don't get really emotional a lot, but when that happened, and from my commute to traffic to my front doorsteps, I, I was so ashamed to even go in the house. I just sat in the car, I sat in the car and cried, knowing, knowing I was wrong, knowing that I had my tail between my legs, and I man. let them do it. Man, brother, but you know what I'm saying? It's important, though. I think acknowledgement and recognition like on a personal level is the building blocks for something great because you could have you could have not realized what you were doing and avoided the million man march and that could have created a cycle of you just avoiding us to the point where one day you would have probably been like i ain't gonna be around you niggas at all (laughs) i even got trust me i got i got the Farrakhan litmus test trust me i got it all I got it all in corporate. And this is actually at board meetings. I, I got it all, man. Man, man. And then. But what really helped me out was, you know, I watched a spook who set, the spook who set by the door. Oh. <laughs> Most people don't know about that. Most people Brother, ain't ready for that. That movie. And actually, when I listened to a lot of Neely Fuller, Fuller, pardon yeah, me. Neely Fuller, I'm aware. Yeah, it, it, it kind of helped me out a whole lot as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Fuller, Fuller's. Fuller's works, man, it really helped me. It really inspired me for behind enemy lines. Mm, wow. Okay. Cause I've been I, I, give, I, I have to give props for that. Hmm. Yeah, Nelly Fuller is a deep brother who speaks truth to power, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I had the same type of experience with um brothers like Corey Holcomb, you yeah. know, reading the she. Basically, in my early, I'm 39 now, my early 30s, I just began any black man that I heard. Uh, speaking truth to power, I almost stopped what I was doing to listen. Now, this is before I started reading any books about um, Black history, before I considered myself an aware or conscious person, whatever. Before any of that, just hearing a Black man stand up and speak for itself, it was something about that. I was like, wait a minute, he going against the grain, but it ain't bothering him. You know what I'm saying? He doing it confidently. And I was like, you know what? I don't know where I'm headed, really, but it's going to look like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. You you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man. Really, really interesting, brother. And and I advise everybody out there, because I'm really big on reading books 
like finding an interesting book about history or individual in history and using that as a form of inspiration. But YouTube is a value source as well, man. There's a, there's several brothers on YouTube or on the internet that give great information um, that can basically make you feel like you're not in this by yourself. Because I'll be yeah. honest, just the circle of men that I'm around, the circle of people that I'm around, I try to surround myself with like-minded individuals, but a lot of the people I love aren't necessarily um, uh, woke, per se. They don't necessarily see uh, racism as it relates to black society the way I do. So for anybody out there that may feel that same way, that you may feel like a rebel, or you may feel like you're on the outside looking in because of how the news makes us feel, because of how Donald Trump crazy ass make us feel, you need to seek out like-minded individuals, and that can become your strength. You can use that to empower yourself, because it's crazy out here, man. And, and sometimes, I've seen black people, because of everything we go through, they just check out, brother. They just, hey, look, I don't want to be involved in all that black stuff. I want some white friends. I'm going to go to my little nice job. I ain't going to watch BET. <laughs> brother, I, I tell you, man, I, I, I don't know if I've created a monster. I have a, I'm not. I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. I have a boy and a girl. And at our dinner table, when we're talking, even my daughter was like, Daddy, you know, you know am, I, am I a Negro then? And you have, I have to really <laughs> talk to him and explain it to her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, even with daddy, you know, well, you talk about the Moors, so, but, but, what, what, the Moors all good? What, what, the Moors, you know, uh, what, if they were all good, then why do they sell us? What are they, what, what are they part of the slave trade? Mm-hmm. We, we have these conversations, man, and for me to have two teenagers actually in this fight or going this fight, I have to make sure that I'm on my p's and q's, brother, at all yeah. times. Yes, yes, my um. My youngest son is very similar to that. We talk to him a lot about, um, you know, racism as it relates to us in a really neutral way, like no, no, no hate filled speeches, but we keep it real and we tell the truth. And because of that, that piques his interest. And now for for me, it's just a matter of trying your best to kind of open your third eye, to kind of see what's not being seen to kind of hear what's not being said. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's our job to do that for our kids because just like you mentioned, when you grew up, you had some good men around you, some hard workers around you, but what nobody talking about what was really going on as far as it relates to us as black folks. And I think every black person in America needs some sort of education on like a real education on how we came to be because unfortunately school not doing that. No, not at all. Um, no. I, my, my upbringing in, in, in North Carolina, you know, was was strictly uh, if 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 you're not a Christian, then you're hell bound. Hmm. And th- that yep. was actually the the core of my upbringing is that you live right, you know, you love Jesus, and everything will be all right. Yep. <laughs> and that's exactly yes. how I was raised. And and I think there, all of us was pretty much raised that same way, man, to a degree. And and I see the benefits of that but i think understanding how far um melanated black people are just as far as it relates to like the wealth gap and where we stand in that all of it makes sense to me while a lot of white families was getting loans and not dealing with the fact that you know they didn't have to be redlined and all these other things they were getting loans they was buying houses they were building wealth to a degree and bro i think we were just praying man yeah, I think we were just wrapped up in religion and like you and like we were talking about earlier, just living for the weekend, waiting because, you know, we didn't want to be brutalized. We didn't want to be hurt. Uh, you know, I know older black people who just didn't want to be bothered. They just wanted to live. You know what I'm saying? Brother, in my environment, it was mostly uh, it was more more of the southern white than black. when I was growing up hmm. and I had a white cat I played ball with and he actually made a bet with me that. His high school diploma that he would double my salary within two years by not even going to high school. Based on he had, he actually, you know what he told me one time? He said, you know what? You spend paycheck money, Chuck. I spend my grandfather's money. There you go. (laughs) There you go. He couldn't have said it no better. He couldn't have said it no better. (laughs) 
He couldn't have said it no better. So if you look at that person, if you look at that perspective to a degree, the white Americans who are in that situation, they ain't even looking at life the same way we looking at it. They ain't even considering the same shit we considering. When you grow up and you're struggling or you have a, a struggle you're dealing with, if you have money issues, all these things, we don't know nothing about a lot of us don't know nothing about businesses. Don't know nothing about um, obtaining the proper loan to get a business. So we're kind of behind on the eight ball. And when we raise our children and we don't talk about these things, I think we're contributing to that negative effect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. I know. Even in corporate, with with, with the conversations I do have with some of the seasons vet there. I mean, I was always told if you're not willing to lie and to cheat, then this ain't this ain't cut for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And I could go on. <laughs> yeah. And when we get in corporate America, what I've also learned, um, sometimes other races of people, you know, primarily Caucasian people, they may they're they're more familiar with the corporate structure. So they know how to backbite and say whatever they gotta say and smooch up to the right person. Like climbing the ladder for them is almost a part of their DNA to a degree. You know what I'm saying? Just like you said, and that's why the title of your book stuck out so much to me. We're, we're We're severely behind enemy lines. And what people don't know, I mean, that's at work, but shit, that's everywhere. That's how I approach it. When I step outside of my door, that's how I approach life because that's the real. When and, and it's in all of our interactions with the dominant society. I, I was just watching a video. This is kind of off topic, but this came to me. I was just mm-hmm. watching a video of a young brother who was stopped by the police. His girl was filming the interaction. He wasn't doing nothing. The brother wasn't in the wrong, but he was hostile. He was uh uh his attitude was why are you messing with me? Don't touch me. Police yeah. wanted apprehend him he's moving he's shoving him he's look man check it out when the police pull you over think of it like you're at war and the enemy just captured you but you ain't got no weapons i agree you ain't got nothing to help you you better comply for that moment so you can get to where you gotta get you see what i'm saying there to be like a code of conduct that we institute amongst all black folks so we can kind of know how to interact with each other how to interact with these other races of people because i'm tired of seeing some of the shit that happens to us and of course it's because of the uh country that we're in and because of the history of a lot of the shit we go through but sometimes we need to understand this like if you have that's why i preach history so much if you got a clear understanding of history you you know if you get pulled over or if you find yourself in certain situations if you don't got backup if you don't got no gun yourself or whatever the case may be you better know how to comply you better know how to get yourself to the next moment so then you need to do you know what i'm saying to fix the situation and a lot of these young brothers, you're right, you're right brother. They, they need to be taught that. They, they really do. Yep. Because I'm, I'm not for capitulating in any environment, regardless of who I'm working for, who I'm, who I'm around. I know who I am. I know the history of our country. I'm for us all day. But you can't be stupid. See, you, you, you still have to use tact in exactly. understanding when you're in these situations so we can make it through. Because I don't um you know uh uh i'm for us creating some type of code or something because i'm not for the marching and you, the in my mouth. You, you know what i'm saying i'm not i'm not going to do that if somebody kills someone i love i can't go ask them to stop that's not how it works i mean you you gotta fight fire with fire at times but as we all know shit black folks ain't necessarily prepared to do that yet in this country, so we gotta play it safe. We gotta be smart. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yep. Yep. So. I agree for Harley, brother. So what I want you to do is I want you to tell everybody out there why they should go buy your books. We we've, we've talked a lot about what what you speak about in the books and how it's important for us to do certain things, but I want you to quickly tell everybody why should they go out and buy your books. 
Well, Behind Enemy Lines is, is a great piece if you are working and if you're in the workplace. Behind Enemy Lines is a piece to actually help you navigate in the workplace. Mm, okay. Uh, I want to suggest everyone goes out and get Behind Enemy Lines. Also, Mason Dixon is uh, kind of a, was the, actually the prerequisite to that story. It was about how someone had to come to realize through a couple of years at the workplace that sometimes if you don't have a knowledge of self, that you can get caught up in the game. Mm. And you can waste a whole lot of years trying to uh, live the so-called American dream. And that wow. you sometimes if you get caught up in that, you are, end up losing, uh, uh, end up losing a, a way to try and, to try and find yourself. Mm. And this character in this book, in this book, Mason Dixon was a person who left the rural South and he had to get, he had to go through a lot of toils and tears and tribulations to um, realize that it's up to you and what you make it. There are, there are some options out there, but a lot of the times uh, when, when you want something, you can't rely on anyone else. And that was um, the whole core of Mason Dixon. But Behind Me Lines is actually a good book for a lot of young brothers who are in the workplace to help them navigate in corporate America or or on the blue, blue collar, the blue collar sector as well. Got it, got it. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Well, Wallace, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. We had a great conversation. Um, when I initially seen your books, my spirit just connected with it. I mean, because that was just something I had to go through leaving corporate America. So I so I knew you would have some good insight to, pro, to provide. Um, Thank you, Brother B. Time. Sir, yes, actually, sir. Um, uh, both books are on Amazon. Uh, that's Wallace Rushing, Behind Enemy Lines, and also uh, Wallace Rushing, Mason Dixon, uh, Views from, from Office Cube. And on Amazon, also, they're on wallacerushing.com as well. Got it, got it. I was just going to ask you for you know, your information on where to get the book. So that is great. Everybody out there, um, most of us who are dealing with problems in corporate America, um, get get some insight. Go to the brother's website, order his books, leave him comments. This is a business for him as well. So supporting him with these books can help him continue to make books. So anybody that we see in our community that's being creative, that's thinking outside of the box, it's imperative that we not only show our support, but we show our encouragement. Um, let them know that it's a motivating factor in something that you're doing. You never know who's watching you. So we're going to continue to bring you these type of interviews with individuals who figured out where they need to be in life, who figured out um, which direction they need to go in life. Because sometimes it's not all about the success that you obtained so far. It's really a mental thing. Sometimes you can be free in your mind. That is more um, beneficial sometimes in a financial payoff or being paid off in other ways. So anytime I hear someone speaking freely from their spirit, it's a must that I support them. So I appreciate having the, uh, the brother Wallace rushing on the show today. Everybody to check out the Melanated Combo podcast, you can go to Melanated Fathers TV on YouTube. You can go to Melanated Fathers dot com to check out this show and the other show that i do melanated mondays brother wallace i want to thank you for coming on the episode today and sharing honored, thank your you. story um like i said everybody please go out and purchase his books um is there any final thing that you want to say brother no i want to thank you for thank you for your time and allow me brother and uh, i'll be in touch no problem no problem i want and, to and thank and thank you thank you for what thank you for everything everything that you're doing as well no problem. I'm going to continue to push and continue to support everything you're doing. Um, so this has been another episode of the Melanated Convo podcast. We out.